It's the Dad in a Rock Podcast. This is Sean. And this is Chris. Join us every week as we give you the dad's point of view on pop culture. And stumbling our way through fatherhood. <laughs> Dad jokes. Star Wars. Streaming. Tech news. Movie news. Listen to lifelong pals tell stories from past and present. Cruise with us into the cheesy every week on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and other podcast platforms. And as always, find past episodes and links to our social media pages on dadnarock.com. Welcome to another special episode of My Drunk Movie Theater. I'm Kyle Sutton. I'm Trisha Campbell. And this is another big spoilery review episode. Uh, I did one with my friend JT for uh, No Time to Die a few weeks ago. Now we're being joined by Sean and Chris from the Dad and Rock podcast to talk about Ghostbusters Afterlife. Say hi, fellas. Hello. Hey, what's going on? All right. It's been a while. We haven't haven't seen you guys. We haven't been on each other's shows since, what, last February? March, March. We did the Godzilla thing together. It's been a while. Yes. Yeah, so it's been a bit. Uh, Chris, Godzilla vs. Kong was your most anticipated movie of, of 2021. Correct? At that point, yeah. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was pretty early on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. I think okay. it was more like I was looking forward to a big movie in a theater, and that's what okay. that was really all about. Okay. That's fine. Uh, yeah. So, okay. So, so I'm trying to, trying to remember the conversation, because we, we had kind of discussed what our most anticipated movies of the year were we're going to be um so yeah you'd said godzilla versus kong i'd said no time for diet trisha i can't remember what you said i honestly don't remember what i said either uh, i'll have to go back and find it i know it was pretty hyped for shang chi and eternals so it was probably one of those two probably okay okay um yeah we have not really got to really dig into shang chi yet we might have to get a get another marvel nerd on to, to do an episode for that uh, but chris <laughs> you, or you Sean, mean i'm not a big enough one uh, you know <laughs> i want somebody who's really gonna dig in and you know all right uh so sean this is your most anticipated movie for 2021 ghostbusters afterlife um before we started recording you said you've been waiting on this movie since 1989 yeah so well a sequel basically i had the ghostbusters 2 poster when i was a kid mm-hmm. um I, so like you know some of my earliest memories are of that first film I was born in 82, came out in 84. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was kind of like Ghostbusters was always a comedy, but a comedy that like kids were kind of into, especially once the real Ghostbusters, the cartoon came out. Then you wanted to see where the heck that show came from and the, the real life version of it, right? Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I continued the adventures on television with Egon, Winston, Peter and Ray. And uh, and then once, you know, I was hyped in 1989. Everybody was talking about Batman, Batman, Batman. And I was like, Ghostbusters coming out June 16th, Ghostbusters 2. <laughs> I was pumped. Um, so, you know, then you expect when you're a kid, you think they're just going to make, you know, sequels once every uh, few years. But then it ended up being 30 years plus before I got a, a proper sequel to it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I was going to say, we, we got... Because I, I was I, I was born in '88. I remember, of course, they played real Ghostbusters and reruns. So I remember mom like dropping me off at the daycare super early in the morning so she could go to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And then as soon as we, you know, as soon as they put us in front of a TV, I like get a hold of that damn remote and find the channel that had real Ghostbusters. So I loved that cartoon. I loved Slimer. Um, so yeah, so I could definitely relate to that. We used to play Ghostbusters out in the schoolyard, um, just running oh, yeah. around. It's it's amazing how how that that movie, both those movies, really carried over for uh, for a full generation um, before just completely disappearing. Um, you know, it wasn't like the end of the franchise altogether. We still had Extreme Ghostbusters there in the late '90s uh, right. that had popped up, and then we wound up getting a revamp, uh, a sort of pseudo sequel in a video game about ten years ago. Yeah, reunited the cast um that i never finished playing because it was kind of difficult but i do want to go back to it um but this is one that uh i i get like i if it's on i will put it on and i don't even need to pay attention to it so i will just sit there walk away come right back in know exactly what's going on probably be quoting along the movie the entire way Um, sure so because it's just it's just one of those movies that really sticks with you um it was one of those movies that was always on at some point in my house because my i'm i was born in 86 but my brother is almost nine years older than me and he like i've talked about it with teenage mutant ninja turtles that he was always into it but ghostbusters was another one that you know as a a child growing up in the 80s he loved and so therefore it was always around when i was growing up too yeah it was one of those top vhs tapes i think i think everybody had a copy of ghostbusters on v you know it was a black with just the no ghost logo logo with the the red border around the, yes. the red rectangle mm-hmm. around the uh, vhs i think every household had it yeah chris you're awfully quiet over there <laughs> no i was letting you guys go right now <laughs> <laughs> because i had really when it comes down to the originals i have no i mean i liked them i enjoy them i know them mm-hmm. i was like i really had no like i had to watch i can't recite any of them I can't tell you the last time I've watched them outside of maybe running into them just recently because my son, uh, who is eight, is completely in love with them, yeah. which is which is pretty awesome to see. Uh, but outside of that, yeah, when it comes to like the, you know, the cartoons and all that, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I have a memory about, you know, a, uh, oh, no, that was a turtle van. Never mind. I was going to say, I thought it was Ecto-1 for a second. But, uh... <laughs> turtle van is almost as cool as the Ecto-1, but... I yeah, know that story is a, a whole other story by itself, but yeah. That's a, for a different podcast, I think. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, so yeah. So, we, we, had, we had one, we had two, which two gets crapped on quite a bit by fans, and I don't understand why. I actually really like two quite a bit. It's not nearly as good as the original. Right. Um, but uh it's one i actually i actually put that into my like holiday playlist since it is set right around it's set on new year's eve like right yeah. around so like yeah gotta watch it gotta watch the uh, the statue of liberty cross town um and then of course we have the ghostbusters remake which uh, personally i i don't i don't like it but i don't hate it and i'm not, it's not nearly as vehement as as it was on um on the internet it's just one of those movies that it exists and um i honestly think that's more of a a knock on the movie itself in terms of quality and that i just don't feel really anything towards it now my wife vehemently hates it uh, <laughs> yeah, oh no like should have hurt her coming out of that theater she was hot <laughs> yeah she she actually wanted to get up and walk out and she she likes the original movies um she wound up really loving this and we'll get into that in a bit uh, but yeah, like for me, it just does nothing for me. And like, I know people, there are some people that find it funny and there are some people that just don't find it funny. And I find myself in that camp. And then you got, 
got all these people over here that are just you know complete assholes about the whole thing be it because women are in it or whatever um what i assume you guys have seen that one what what were your guys' thoughts on that in terms of i mean just in terms of being a movie honestly i, I avoided it you avoided yeah, it. you haven't seen it at I, yeah, all i i have it so it's one of those weird like you know you set up uh you know voodoo or whatever it is uh-huh. you connect and they give you so many free movies so i have it but i mean it's not <laughs> a movie i want to actually free movie i, I had never a hard watched. time finding time <laughs> to watch movies as is okay so finding time for a movie that i know has such bad word of mouth such you know so many people there's more people that dislike it than mm-hmm. actually like it i I would rather put something in the place where I have time to watch that. I know I'm going to enjoy or something that is, you know, already widely enjoyed by the family. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't have the same level of vitriol that most of the internet had around that time, but I mean, that was part of the, it was like one cog in a big wheel, uh, you know, 2016 Ghostbusters was almost, I don't know. It's, you know, you could almost get political with it, how crazy things got around that movie. But like, I never, I enjoyed the cast. Like I love Kristen Wiig. Mm-hmm. And I love uh, Leslie Jones and um, um, I'm blanking on, oh, is it Kate McKinnon? Um, yeah, like the whole cat, like all four of those women are like hilarious. Um, and, I, you know, Kristen Wiig stuff with Bill Hader and Andy Samberg on their uh, section of SNL was some of my favorite stuff during those years. Um, I think it was just the tone was like way off and the just the simple fact that it wasn't a continuation. It was a complete reboot. Because like I said earlier, like I was in love with the four Ghostbusters, the guys, the guys I looked up to as a kid, like those were my heroes, you know what I mean? Egon and, and Peter and Ray and like figuring out the day, like solving the problems, uh, you know, big monster, whatever it was, they were the heroes that came in and, and took care of things. So to not see them in a continuation and then to have the goal that they were actually in the movie, but they were playing different characters as just like these weird nothing cameos. I was just confused by the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they, they, they took away the characters that everybody loved and they changed the, the sense of humor. And then they were like, why don't people like it? Well, you changed everything that people liked about the movie. Yeah, they didn't watch it for the ghosts. They watched it for the characters and the humor. And it was way goofy. It, it happened to be the than, setting. It was even goofier than Ghostbusters 2, I think. Like it was so, they went over yeah. the top there with the goofy factor. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that's... Yeah. That was that was one of the things that my my wife com- just bitched about the entire time was just uh, I, I you know we we have cracked jokes you know just between us about okay there's still a ghost blowjob joke in the first movie um, you know that as a kid I never caught on to but now as an adult I'm going oh okay he's all right I get where they're going there but like a lot of the humor just kind of it goes back to like just plain old dick and fart jokes in 2016 that i'm just like this would be funny in a totally different movie like right. yeah. this is when i come to see ghostbusters yeah, trisha you nailed it. it it is about those characters like um four working class stiffs in in new york basically just working as exterminators they just have to be working with the paranormal that was always the appeal of ghostbusters and of course you're never going to replace bill murray or, or harold ramus god bless him um or or any of those guys so yeah um so yeah so but no my my wife just every anytime any i will joke about buying ghostbusters uh anytime i see it out and about and it's just you you think that i just kicked her dog like she, she <laughs> right out the gate um 
That's I guarantee you, if I if I hollered upstairs right now and said something about it, she would just yell, fuck that movie just immediately. She would uh, answer the call. Oh, she would answer the call. All right. So. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's unfortunate that that up until this year is the most recent Ghostbuster memory that we get. Um, but now we have Ghostbusters Afterlife, which is a, a true sequel to the first two movies, and they. They did not do what Halloween did, where they wipe out any continuity between the first movie and this movie. They they've let two have its have its own say, and and it sounds like they may be going back to the well from two for a sequel here, which we'll we'll get into later. Um, so if you're listening up to this point and you have you haven't seen the movie yet, this is where you need to go ahead and turn it off because we're we're gonna dig into <laughs> quite a bit here. Um, so ready in three, two one all right so ghostbusters afterlife uh we get to follow egon's granddaughter his daughter and, and grandchildren uh as they go out to to oklahoma um to pick up the pieces of of his life and of course when we start off we get uh, we we find out what's happened to egon we find out exactly how he went out and all that um and it's all done in silhouette uh which i, I thought I like that yeah yeah i I did too. Um, that was one of those things where I'm looking at it. I'm going, okay, like you get, you recognize the hair and all that. And I'm going, well, you can't show Harold Ramis as Egon in this moment. And it's just, it's, it just, it would feel weird. But later on in the movie, we actually do get that payoff, um, which I, I just want to go ahead and just dig right into that. Cause I know that's been like a point of contention across the internet right now. And Trisha and I have had this conversation in, in private, um, but Sean being as attached to ghostbusters as you are mm-hmm. how did you feel about the harold ramus reveal at the end of the film i was totally on board with it because i you know i was gearing up for this movie and i was uh following a channel on youtube called ghostbusters news who posts about like one video a day on it and uh just like i mean all kinds of things so I knew that Harold Ramis's estate and his family were okay with using his image. Mm-hmm. And I knew that they were um, creating um, a vision of Egon and not necessarily a vision of how Harold Ramis looked before he passed. It was like um, they almost shaped him away where he was still just a continuation of how he looked in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, the fact that he didn't speak at the end, I think, went a long way where you know you didn't get that awkward cg mouth movement just on a fundamental level as far as the uncanny valley but then you know he didn't need to say any words he was just there as a a guiding hand basically and to say you know and just to be there to let the other characters say goodbye and and do what they needed to do i thought it was done as far as if you're going to do something like that i think it was done very well I, i think it was done in a classy way yeah chris oh yeah i wholeheartedly agree with that i mean it was one of those uh, I wasn't following it on O channel like Sean was. <laughs> but uh, going into it, I mean, I knew there had to be something. And the way they did it at the beginning when you didn't see him at all, I mean, you just basically seen, you know, him going, and no, no, like no face or anything. And you had to figure out who, who it was. I mean, you had, had to have an idea. And then when they finally showed him, I thought they earned the payoff. Mm-hmm. And like, like mm-hmm. Sean said, when he didn't speak at all and it was all just them looking at him and the other characters talking to him, I thought it was done very classily. You know, I mean, it, it felt it felt good. Everything felt right. It didn't feel like anything was forced. And 
at the end of it, you know, he they were done. I feel like everyone got their own closure yeah. based on, you know, how, yeah. how Egon left everybody in a way and everyone was so angry at him. And then it all came full circle and they all kind of apologized, said, you know, he was right in the long run. Trisha? I agree. Uh, and I kind of said a similar thing. The most important thing is that Harold Ramos's family signed off on it. Yeah. And as long as they're good, I don't think it's anyone else's place to say that there was anything wrong with it. Yeah. Because they don't know him. His his family said, yes, I agree. This is good. End of story. Yeah. But I think the fans deserved to have, have Egon have some sort of send off, proper send off, instead of just writing him out or having him die off screen and that'd be that. Yeah. Um, Sean, you actually touched on something there that I, I have thought about and I haven't really given a whole lot of thought to, but, but with him not talking, uh, mm-hmm. obviously, obviously you don't want to sit there and have the uncanny Valley issue um, like you did with like, say rogue one watching either Carrie Fisher or Peter Cushing's, you know, yeah. digital mouths move um, to take you out of that moment. It, it, the way that they did it here, it looks very realistic and without him saying a word, which is, to me, kind of in line with Egon's character anyway. Um, right. You know, he's, yeah. he's kind of a man of few words. And when he does speak, it's all techno babble. So you're like, <laughs> I don't know what the hell you're, you're saying. Right. Um, but yeah, no, the, the, payoff, the payoff at that moment is, is definitely earned. I, I actually found myself, not the first viewing, because I was just so excited watching it. But the second time I saw it, um, I actually like started crying, like teary-eyed um the moment that his hand grabs uh, grace mckenna's to help her yeah contact. it was a great reveal just the way yeah. they shot that because she was standing alone you know and you're rooting for her because you like i think and we'll talk about phoebe but you naturally like phoebe as a character that entire movie and when gozer knocks the other three down on their butts and she's the one um you know taking charge and the, the camera does this pan around her and around the uh you know the the neutrino wand and you see egon's hand just to go over hers yeah it's a moment dude it's it's done really well yeah i was talking to my so my brother took his family to go see it and while while i was working i went over and i was chatting with him about it and he and i both agreed we kind of had a similar reaction as you know we we lost our mom in 2018 and so that moment where she gets to basically say goodbye to her dad both of us we were talking about he he was like i i started crying and my niece was standing there she's 11 and she just looks up and goes what you cried <laughs> and i literally just turn and i go some of us have lost a parent so that the a little close to home and she just immediately goes oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah for sure and, and yeah. but i i think that goes to um just really great directing too i mean not only we have a love for this character if you're a ghostbusters fan or, or whatever um, and we know that the that Harold Ramis is passed in real life and you, you miss him. He's an integral piece of that team. Um, but yeah, I think it just goes to um, because we never saw Carrie Coon and Harold Ramis in a scene together. You know, we don't know them uh, or, or their story, but they gave enough with the picture board on the wall and Carrie mm-hmm. Coon's performance and just the overall like good story that it was like, it, you still felt it, even though, you, you know, if you think about it, you shouldn't really be that invested in it, into it because it's just been talked about the entire movie without really seeing it. Um, but yeah, you, you, when you finally do get to see it at the end, it, it hits home. Yeah. Well, part of it is when she was actually led down to the, uh, the basement mm-hmm. and she sees the pictures 
on the wall and then the picture of her in the frame and basically it, it's telling her that he is he never forgot but there was something else that he had to go ahead and do so her just yeah. seeing that that moment right there led to that payoff at the end well and not only that we we also so egon is still very much in the film even without harold ramus's you know digital representation being there um when they first move into the farmhouse phoebe uh you know has a chessboard get knocked over so she picks it up puts it back together like a true nerd and decides i'm gonna play a piece and sets out a pawn and we keep coming back to that um as pieces keep getting moved every so often and would so... you be cool with that i would freak me <laughs> the hell out no. <laughs> no. no i lose my shit are you kidding yeah. me but Phoebe, as she says in the movie, um, you know, I, I'm calm with overstimulation. It's fine. Like, I'm like, okay. So, uh, so yeah. So, no, as soon as that that one chess piece goes flying across the room at her, we figure out it's Egon trying to, you know, communicate with her and guides Phoebe through the house and down out into the barn and, you know, into his little secret lair with the fire pole, the fire. Uh, which somebody pointed out to me is really hilarious because when you watch the original Ghostbusters, and I, I can't remember even in the second, whenever Egon goes sliding down the pole, he looks terrified. <laughs> uh, and so the fact that he has, he has a pole out there, I'm like, okay, he, you know, he either got over that fear or just it's his constant reminder of those times back in New York. Mm -hmm. Um, but well, go ahead, Trisha. I said, or both, or both. Um, so throughout the movie, we get we get Egon's presence there, um, like I said, guiding her through the house back out there into the shed, uh, to moving the lamp to communicate with her. You know, when she says, were, were you some kind of genius? And he just immediately shines the light. <laughs> I'm like, that is not, to me, that's not just Egon and the character, but that is very representative of Harold Ramis's humor as well. Yeah. And I couldn't think of a better way to pay tribute to, to the man and the character that he created, you know, 35, 30, you know, almost 40 years ago. Yeah. Uh, so yeah so it, it is that payoff at the end when we do finally get the reveal of him it is definitely earned um and, and especially uh with with him and phoebe initially and then with uh carrie coon uh callie um his daughter their mom um you know we we get both of those moments and of course after hearing uh ray whenever phoebe calls mm -hmm. uh him that's that's who she would after who are you gonna call arrested, yeah, <laughs> who are you gonna call like that's your one phone call is you're going to call raise a cult bookstore in New York city <laughs> and ask questions about your grandfather. It makes sense, you know, um, which is another thing. So that's uh, of the other ghostbusters at that point, really uh, Dan Aykroyd gets, gets the most screen time of any of them mm -hmm. because he has that extra scene to kind of lay out this, this exposition of what happened with him. Um, now I will say this is probably my one nitpick on the movie is uh, that he explains that Egon had found out all the, you know, had been doing research on Gozer and Evo Shandor and all that. And Ray didn't listen to him. And that to me, always that, that just didn't quite feel right. Because when you watch those first two movies, Ray and Egon were like peas in a pod, like, you know, one's right. Mind the other is very much a the let's look into it gets very excited about it 
Yeah. Um, and so to me, it almost didn't make sense for those two to have a falling out, but that's, that's the decision that they went with. Um, well, but- he also lays out that they were having, they were struggling with money. Yeah. So, I mean, at some point, the anxiety of trying to figure out how you're going to survive can kind of overtake that desire to let's go, let's go figure this out. And right. maybe I should listen to him. It becomes you are messing with our ability to survive. Yeah. You need that's to how I, that's yeah. Trisha, that's how I read it too. It's mm-hmm. like that phone call, you get a lot of exposition in that short phone call. Um, and Ray has to go through a lot, their entire history after ghostbusters too. And the way he painted is like, they were devastated as a company, like stuff dried up after the, you know, Vigo was taken care of, right? Mm-hmm. And they were maybe doing one call a week and it was just not enough for them to, to stay in business. And they were probably completely stressed out over that. And then after the, with that in mind, in that environment, Egon just like flips out and steals equipment and, and like totally disappears. Like I, I, I get why, and Ray says in the phone call that he didn't hear from Egon until 10 years later. Yeah. Um, and which, I mean, which also like blows my mind, like Egon must have, I guess he, you know, had this uh, inclination and it was falling upon deaf ears. So he decided to make the sacrifices to, um, to do what he did. But like, yeah, I, I bought into it. It was kind of a, a, a hard pill to swallow there in that moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially, I mean, right, right from the jump, he's like, you know, Egon Spengler can rot in hell. Like, you're like, whoa, that what yeah. happened there? Yeah. So when he finds and, out he's dead on that same call, it's like, oh, oh, uh, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> he kind of walked, he wanted to walk the comment back a little bit. You, you yeah. can tell when in his, yeah. you know, his facial expressions. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, that's fair. Like I said, it just, I, I think, and maybe it's just, just, you know that nostalgia of the those first two movies kind of kicking in maybe that's that's yeah. what, that yeah. about that rubbed me the wrong way uh, trisha i'm not i don't disagree that the the financial situation is definitely what what did that relationship in it's just i, I feel like it felt like to me either way those two guys should have stayed boys even with the the trauma going on and like any kind of supernatural situation ray would have gone along with and just said let's let's go investigate even even with that um yeah but, but like i said it, it, that's my one nitpick if that's my one nitpick about the whole movie then we're doing pretty, pretty good yeah. yeah um so so we have that uh of course we get introduced to um to egon's family his daughter callie played by carrie coon we get grace mckenna as phoebe uh the younger daughter who uh the way that they have her made up in this she is the spitting image of of harold ramus's character it just yeah. I, and, and the way the way she portrays it too um i i can't rant and rave enough about that child uh yeah she is because i think she was 13 at the time of shooting and now she's 15 and she put on a performance to me that that would rival what other kids are doing right now um i honestly I fair, she has she has quite the resume under her belt she has worked with a lot of people yeah and a lot of things which i hadn't i hadn't heard of mckenna grace before this honestly like i mean paul rudd she, is paul rudd everybody she, loves yeah. paul she rudd started, she started opposite chris evans yeah i did see that after the fact when she was doing like the interview circuit and stuff once the she, release came out i learned a lot about super her. recognizable because she's naturally blonde and mm-hmm. you know has to be dark curly hair for this but yeah, she she played younger versions of a lot of people and a lot of things. Like she's <laughs> young, but 
she puts us all to shame. <laughs> I, was gonna say, I, I didn't realize that she had played young Brie Larson in Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. Like, it just never clicked for me. Oh, see, I didn't know that until oh, just see, I now. I have to check it out. There you go. Yeah, go back and watch it. And you're like, oh, that's that's Phoebe Spangler. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> she was young, young Jennifer Morrison in Once Upon a Time. Yeah. So, wow. uh, but she's a very talented young actress. And like I said, the way that she plays Phoebe, uh, basically just channeling her her version of, of Egon Spengler, I think is, um, is just terrific to watch. You immediately wind up liking her for how odd she is, kind of the same way that you felt about Egon in the first movie. Um, you're like, he's, he's, he's weird, like, but in a fun way, like, I, I don't dislike this person, you know? Right. Um, and the running Remember gap- that time you tried to drill a hole through your head? <laughs> it would have worked if you hadn't stopped me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, like the running gag with her telling the, the terrible, terrible jokes. Um, oh yeah. Just, just really fun. Like I, yeah. I, I straight up belly laughed, uh, during, which one was, it was when she, when, when they go and confront Gozer and she, she immediately hops up. Oh, it was the, uh, the, I have a drink named, or we have a drink named after you, the grasshopper gym. Yes. <laughs> um, I belly laughed because it's so stupid and nobody else in the theater laughed. And I'm like, are you serious? Like, come on. That's like, it's a terrible joke, but her delivery is what makes it. So, she committed to it. It's Sean's brand right now. You know, those, those oh, bad, yeah, bad, jokes. bad, yeah. bad jokes. We were loving them. Yeah. Oh, no, I was, I was eating it up. Of course, Trisha will tell you, I love puns and dad jokes just as much as anybody, much to her, you know, disdain but uh but those moments she really makes those work um i can't the other kid podcast (laughs) oh i loved podcast i love the name by itself it was awesome (laughs) (laughs) this is the second major movie that we have all talked about that one of the heroes is a podcast (laughs) no yeah that's right (laughs) podcast saved the day it's one of those dumb nicknames that kids make up that just stick yeah. The kids make a, kids will call you the stupidest things. Like I I distinctly remember being in first grade and a kid called me Trisha Campbell soup and I thought it was just the worst day of my life. Wow. I was just so upset <laughs> by that. And now I'm like that that's that's what you came up with. Yeah. Okay. Maybe it was a term of beard. Maybe he like really loved the just the warmth of the chicken noodle soup and it reminded him of home <laughs> and he thought it was a good thing. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Or that commercial. Remember that commercial where the kid comes in, he's a snowman, he walks into the living room and eats that chicken soup, and then he's a kid. Yes. Classic Christmas commercial. That is a great Christmas commercial. Um, <laughs> anyway, we should get on the tangent. <laughs> we're, we're, we're um, so uh, but yeah, so podcast though is this young kid who it, it's almost uh he's basically the ray of this movie. He he's very excitable, he's he's really hyped up about the the unknown and the mysterious and has his podcast that has one whole listener uh you know we can relate right you know that's race dance (laughs) turns uh, out race dances is one listener which which is a great reveal at the end and and should have seen it coming in all honesty yeah um but the running gag that the show the show finds its voice in you know in episode Episode, 46 yeah (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. that's Uh, dedication there (laughs) it is uh but that that kid uh doesn't he doesn't quite steal the show for me but he is he is right there with with phoebe playing basically her second banana um and we wind up connecting with both these kids really quick and wind up you know being uh, being able to enjoy going on this adventure with them well, um, he was like a not an outcast by himself 
Yeah. And then someone yeah. new to the neighborhood or the, the town mm-hmm. is now already by fault default, you know, an outcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they kind of just got together right out the gate. And then when he found it, they lived on dirt farm. She's like, he's like, oh, okay, yeah, this has got you know show written all over it. Right. Yeah. It's icing on the cake. New friend, and they live in that creepy old uh, barn. Yeah. Content, content, content. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. No, uh, I, I just, I really like that character. Um, and then, of course, we get Finn Wolfhard from Stranger Things getting to play another moody teenager. Um, For once, he's not the weird kid that's into weird things. He's, he's just not. a normal teenager. Right. Who gets, gets dragged into this stuff. Who gets thrown into it and in a lot of ways gets to be the puppy dog version of, of Peter Venkman. He's not nearly as cool as he thinks he might be he's not as smooth but he's very much persistent with pursuing uh this other girl uh that to the point of getting a job working at the same place to to try and pursue her um he's fine he's not he's not like the highlight of the movie or anything but we do get to enjoy going along on his journey um but secondhand embarrassment a lot of secondhand Mm -hmm. embarrassment so um and that course- surprised me, actually. Uh, you know, with Finn Wolfhard, who arguably out of the uh, the child cast in this movie, mm-hmm. probably the biggest name, you know, from Stranger Things and the It movies and stuff. I, I thought that he would have uh, a character that would have a bigger presence or a bigger role to play. Um, and I guess I wasn't surprised. Well, yeah, I guess I was surprised that Phoebe really kind of took center stage as far as the, the story revolving around her character. And Finn Wolfhard was just kind of there along for the ride. And really his only story arc was just like, he liked the girl and mm-hmm. um, I don't know, that was about it. So uh, that, that kind of sucked into protect his sister. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was, I was actually surprised by that too. Not so much the fact that the movie follows Phoebe more than, um, than Trevor, but the fact that you've got Finn Wolfhard in your movie and he's not getting a huge part in it like Mm -hmm. he's a big enough part he's one of the one Mm -hmm. of the leads but he's more of a featured character in this right Uh, and so i'm sitting there going sony went through the effort and the trouble to get the kid from stranger things and this is what he's been relegated (laughs) to interesting like they may have wanted a a recognizable name and face as one of the main cast yeah i mean they didn't do it as a full bait and switch because he had a role in the movie right but it was there so it was something out of a relevant, you know, series, the game of uh, Stranger Things. Yeah, because as game much as McKenna Grace has done, she's not super recognizable. Yeah, it's not yeah. a name that's going to draw people in. But you say, "Hey, we got Finn Wolfhard and and you know Paul Rudd," and people are yeah. just like, "Damn it, we're in!" Right. And then uh, the kid who played podcast was a complete unknown. I think he was cast for his first role in this movie. And uh, sorry, I don't know the other character's name. Who ends up being the fourth Ghostbuster? Uh, what's her name in the movie and what's her uh, actress's name i can't I, remember I, at all i, I, I want to say her name was lucky the character's name oh it was lucky yeah the character's name yeah. Was lucky yeah i had not um seen um that actress before either so um maybe it was just a way for them to because a lot of the times you know if you hear that the uh, uh, that a movie coming up is going to be like kid-centric Mm-hmm. like hey it's the ghostbusters but it's the kid version of ghostbusters i mean that didn't even go down well on the real ghostbusters when they had those episodes where the kids were tagging along or whatever so it's like for a feature film um where you didn't see anybody that you knew from the originals on the poster or anything you just were going to see this these kids be in a movie it would i think if you didn't have finn wolfhard it would have been a harder pill to swallow honestly sure. yeah by the way her name is lucky and her name is celeste o'connor okay. there we go that's it there you go. Um, 
yeah who and again she's she's another person that that gets thrown in she's you know we get to know a little bit about her but we don't get to learn a whole a whole lot but she's the winston zedmore in this in this situation kind of comes in comes into play in the action later on in the movie to actually fill things out um but the other standout performance in this is uh from a more dramatic standpoint is carrie coon as callie spangler uh the kid's mom um i i felt like she did a really good job of, of portraying somebody who's bitter at their father for just ditching and not turning around uh, you know for me that hit a little close to home but uh it is what it is um but yeah i i actually liked her in that part even though i was not a big fan of the character itself for for how um disinterested i guess uh is a good word for it when it comes to to her daughter's uh hobbies um Mm. even she acknowledges in character like you know trevor trevor i can figure out i've got him because he's a normal teenage boy i can't get the hang of my daughter you know um i I think that probably had something to do with when you know the connection to her dad yeah, how much her dad yeah. was into it and she was like i didn't know what he was doing i don't know what she's doing right. and almost separating you know taking a step back she was, it was too much emotionally yeah. for her to try to figure out he's, what phoebe was going too through. much like her dad and she doesn't know how to handle that since she's so angry at her dad yeah, yeah. she doesn't know how to approach her daughter because all she can think about is well she's just like my dad and i can't stand him yeah so how do i relate to her Right. And it creates a, a good genuine conflict between mother and daughter throughout the movie um, that both sides play so well into. And then, of course, last but not least, we got to talk about Paul Rudd, um, people's sexiest man alive in 2021, <laughs> um, gets relegated to being the Lewis Tully of this batch and actually gets stuck in, in the terror dog situation. Um, Can't forget, Pride of Kansas City. Yeah, the Pride of Our Kansas very City. Own. So, so, okay, my other big nitpick of this movie is I don't see Paul Rudd in one damn Chiefs or Royals or KC barbecue related thing the entire time. And it's only in Oklahoma, so it's still within Chiefs Kingdom. So you know I, he tried. Oh, I'm sure he did. But uh, no, he was, he was great as usual uh, as the slacker teacher who eh, just doesn't seem like he should be teaching at all. <laughs> he showed Cujo yeah. and Child's Play. In oh, summer I love how you pushed, pushed a big old, like, you know, old school TV in and put a, you know, a VHS yes. in. I was like, oh, that, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh, that's, mm, that is. That brought back a lot of memories. Yeah. <laughs> Not so much when Cujo, you know, watching it in class. <laughs> you remember towards the end of the year, it would be like late May into June and nobody cared anymore and you would just roll in the old uh, TV. And, and it'll be like everyone would kind of cheer without making a noise. <laughs> yeah. I had a, my government teacher did that in high school. Legit got to the end of the year. He was like, we've, we've gone through everything I want to teach and everything I'm required to teach. So we started off with one that made sense. We watched uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. So we're like okay yeah yeah that makes sense yeah. watching normal class but then like we watched days and they're confused <laughs> we're just that's like that's a good okay. end of the school that's an interesting movie. choice okay. <laughs> sure hold on wait a minute hold on hold on how the hell did you guys get away with getting to watch an r-rated movie in a classroom that was my only other question during this I don't, sequence i look this is the same man who we were under budget cuts like crazy at this time and they were not supposed to make copies unless it was absolutely necessary yeah. and this man would go in and make copies of articles he wanted us to read and thick packets of questions to go with it and he would give them to us almost every day and he would acknowledge how every teacher in the school hated him for it 
<laughs> so the fact that he somehow got away with this leads me to believe he probably didn't ask. That's fantastic. The uh, the only R-rated movie we got away with in, in high school was uh, Glory, and that's only because we were doing a unit in American history on the Civil War. So, you know, and that was with special permission. So kudos yeah. to your teacher for just saying, fuck it, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> and, and again, that's what Paul Rudd's doing here. So showing off Cujo and Child's Play is just an inspired choice for a summer school class. And not even staying in the same room. Then he leaves the room. Yeah. <laughs> it was like right. a back storage room, whatever it is, while he's showing the movie. <laughs> he's got stuff to do man he does man, science science is punk rock like that might have been one of my favorite lines in the movie is when he's uh what what was it? the uh the the safety pin through the nipple of academia yeah that was funny <laughs> oh, yeah God. it was very pro science pro stem pro like girls doing it for themselves and uh learning and it's okay to be smart and like it had a lot a lot of good like kind of covert good messages in the movie I love that when Phoebe, when he found out that Phoebe was actually really smart, he said, yes. "Hold on." You, he was delighted. You know his eyes lit up. <laughs> yeah, his eyes yeah. lit up. And he looked at the whiteboard. <laughs> yeah. Do you understand all this? Yeah. Yeah. She was like, "I'm not an idiot." Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. The uh, the geometry joke though. When he catches on that she's making this terrible pun, just that's that's why I winked. And he goes, "That's awful. I love it." <laughs> I'm just like. Oh, Paul Rudd, you just you're getting to play yourself in a Ghostbusters movie. I'm so down with this. Like, true. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, he is he is a lot of fun to watch every time that he's on screen. Uh, and of course, he gets to be the person that reveals to Phoebe and podcast that what you have in your hands is a ghost trap from you know from the the Manhattan cross rip. Like, so so you know and of course going in with that whole science is punk rock thing helps them open it and triggers the uh the sequence of events that's going to lay into the second half of this movie um i don't know that i would ever trust my children to uh to be taught by this man uh but i'd be glad that he's around so right. um so he's yeah a cool substitute teacher <laughs> the, the coolest substitute teacher um yeah, who immediately runs away after blowing out the windows on on the buses? And- <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, this is fantastic. Um, so yeah, so we wound up watching the movie. Uh, like I said, Trish and I screened it, and of course, I was so excited that you know it was like, it's another Ghostbusters movie. Um, and then watching it again with my wife, who did not complain once this time, which was fantastic. Um, overall, what did you guys think of Ghostbusters? Uh, Chris, I'm going to start with you. Okay. I loved every minute. I went into it, honestly, with a fear with Finn uh, Wolfhard in it, mm-hmm. that with there being a younger cast, it was going to be way too much like a Stranger Things. And I was pleasantly wrong. I, I went into it. I'm watching it. I'm enjoying it. And my son, who's eight, was chomping at the bit. He could not wait to go see this movie. So we're sitting there, we're watching it, and I am enjoying the movie, but I think I'm enjoying it even more because he's sitting next to me, I mean, locked on. And then the whole Walmart scene happens, and he is dying when he sees the mini Stay Puffs. And he's laughing. He's enjoying it. The whole movie was so enjoyable to me. Uh, I, I was blown away, honestly. And, and at the end of it, this is the funny thing. At the end of it, when uh, the Echo One is rolling back into New York, mm-hmm. they hit that uh, the Ghostbusters theme. Mm-hmm. He starts singing, like, loud in the theater. Yeah, like he's singing it word for word. <laughs> so much so when when the movie was over and the, the, the credits rolled, 
I looked at the guy next to him and said, man, I'm so sorry. He said, you know, what? I was impressed that he knew the whole song. And he admitted that he actually was in the theater in 84 for the original. So he loved the fact that an eight-year-old sitting next to him had so much of an appreciation and love for the movie. So I think that fed into my enjoyment, even though I, I loved it as is. Mm-hmm. Him loving it as yeah. much as I was enjoying it made it even more of a, uh, a yeah. great experience. Well, yeah. so, so yeah, so I wanted, I wanted to ask you about that. So uh, you, you shared on Twitter with us um, that, that the, you took him to see the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had talked on a very recent episode of our show or our, our regular show um, about having issues getting posters. And like, we yeah. only got two posters for Ghostbusters Afterlife. Mm-hmm. How in the hell did he manage to get a poster <laughs> from the theater that you went to? I just, I got to know. Well, well, this is the thing. We came home and I had a, another day at the, I went, I had one of those old fashioned double features. I went back later that evening mm-hmm. and my daughter wanted to see it. Is it, I think it's Encanto. Mm-hmm. Uh, how you pronounce it? We went back yeah. and we seen that, but his friend was going to see Ghostbusters again, mm-hmm. but they went to another theater. So I take my daughter, he comes home. And he's got a rolled up full size poster in hand. I'm like, dude, what do you got? He said, I got a Ghostbusters poster. You no know, bull crap. You don't have a Ghostbusters <laughs> poster. Definitely after hearing you guys talk about how difficult it is for the mm-hmm. theaters to get posters. He opens it up and sure as hell, it's a full size poster. And he said, Daddy, I just asked. I was like, hold on. You just <laughs> asked for a full size poster. You, first of all, you, you had the nerve to go over and ask for it. And then they had one that they just handed to you. I was like, I was blown away. To yeah, be fair, it, he had a better shot as a kid to actually get it than an adult. <laughs> and that's what I figured. It's easy to tell me no, but yeah, an eight-year-old, if they've got one, yeah. I know a spare one, it's probably, uh, your your odds are probably a lot better. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was going to say, yeah, I, I can tell you straight up. Like I said, we only got two. Of course, Trisha's brother now has the other one. Mm-hmm. I have mine. Um, yeah, no. If, like, we, we actually had the Midland Empire Ghostbusters out for opening weekend, and they were asking us about hey, do you guys have, you know, posters or, uh, we, we actually got special uh, polos for, for this movie that actually has the, the Afterlife logo on the back. Um, and of course they're asking like, hey, do you have any extras of those? And I'm like, look, I, I, I'm glad you guys came out to help promote the movie, but no, you ain't getting shit. Now, if a, if a little kid had come up to me, you know, especially because there were a little kid, there was like a little kid there, mm-hmm. a little boy with uh, the full jumpsuit and a, a little proton. Their pack. own little proton oh, packs. So That's awesome. And then adorable. And if they would have asked me for a poster, I'd have said, "Here you go, kid. Like, just take it. Like, uh, as much as I want to have one, uh, you obviously yeah. deserve. Like, you know, <laughs> they they had the little RC ghost trap too. They really oh, did. Nice. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we didn't we didn't get into the the details on on the Ecto one uh, when we were going through all this because there's some new features on that car, including the the uh, rolling uh, the RC ghost trap um, yeah. and the gunner, the gunner seat. seat. Yeah, which we see in the uh, in the trailer. Uh, very toyetic. Yes, very very much. Uh, hey, we got to sell some stuff for this guy. Yeah, <laughs> I'm impressed how they would control that. You know, the RC toy. <laughs> it was right? moving. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was moving ass. faster than the Ecto one at times. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. So so Chris, you love the movie. I'm glad to hear that. Sean, uh, you you're the big fan here. Yeah. So where's this one sitting for you? Well, I mean, going into it, understandably, I probably would have had expectations that would never be met just because I am a super it was probably like my first fandom like I remember at four years old going to my neighbor's house 
because I heard there was a Ghostbusters cartoon starting and it, it to my disappointment it was just the filmation one with the gorilla oh, and not the real Ghostbusters um so my memory of Ghostbusters goes like way back I've got the flight suit back there I've shown up to around Halloween around Halloween I think that's why Ghostbusters has kind of kept in the zeitgeist for a long time is because around every Halloween you get the the villains, right? You get the monsters, you get the Michael Myers, the Freddy Krueger, they all kind of have their resurgence, right? Yeah. But then you also have the heroes that that could, you know, feasibly uh, take care of these, like uh, these villains and these mysteries of the unknown, you know, with with their guts and their brains and their wit, they could they could come in uh, with the pack strapped to their back and, and save the day, right? Yeah. And um, so I always love the franchise and like I said, I've been waiting since Ghostbusters 2 in 1989 to have a, a proper sequel and enjoy that. And I was a little worried, like Chris, about the tone. Like, are they just going to pull like like a Spielbergian kind of Goonies thing, which ultimately they kind of did. But there was enough of that original Ghostbusters flavor that even though it was a, a story with kids, I think the story, the family dynamic, how they handled the whole Egon thing. Um, and finally seeing Winston, Ray, and Peter show up in the end, it didn't feel forced because he got that phone call. It, like, it all made sense plot-wise. Um, I thought it was just handled incredibly well. I thought Jason Reitman did a great job. This was, he was almost like he was born to, to make this movie. He, you know, he felt as though growing up that he was a part of those original films just because his dad was the one to make those, and he mm -hmm. even had a bit part in Ghostbusters 2, and he's kind of lived with this his whole life. So for him to revisit it, and tell this story and, and Phoebe's based on his daughter. It just felt right. Like the whole movie, like just feels good. Mm -hmm. Bustin makes me feel good. This movie made me feel good. <laughs> it, it meant more to him than it probably would have anyone else they could have gotten. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Trisha? I loved every moment of it. Like, like he was saying, like they, they did kind of modernize it and they brought in new characters, but the heart of the, what you love about the Ghostbusters is there. And it, it was a very nice kind of passing the torch to the next generation. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. Did anyone yeah. else let out an audible like, woo, when they showed the rest of the three, uh, you know, Ghostbusters when they showed oh, up on the screen? Yeah. Oh, I mean, I know I let that. one out. I don't think anyone else did in the theater, so I don't know if I caught them off guard. That's, that's the joys of when we screen movies. Anytime anyone who joins us, we have to give them the warning, like normal theater rules don't apply to screenings. No, we're alone in a theater. There will be commentary. There will be running jokes. There will be audible reactions. Yeah, and that's and that's regardless of whether or not we like or dislike a movie. We will sit there and crack. We watched Belfast the other night, and mm -hmm. I'm still sitting there cracking jokes the entire time. Great movie, <laughs> but I'm sitting there going, Man, I, I got got something to say here. Like while I'm thinking about it, and it turn it can turn into a full on mystery science theater three thousand kind of situation if you yep. get the right movie. Um, We've done yeah. that. No, but that uh, we'll, we're going to get into that in just a second, Chris. Um, I just want to say I absolutely love this, uh, and I I I figured that I was going to enjoy it. I did not expect to enjoy it as much as I did. Um, from like like I said, the the little jokes from the the terrible jokes coming from Phoebe to mm -hmm. the mini Stay Puft moment, like that they only showed a little bit of in in the ads. Um, that was All the right choice. Oh my gosh! Yeah, uh, we were we were laughing about how dark that sequence gets uh, <laughs> with, the, with the marshmallow men just destroying each other, uh, like literally roasting each other. Yeah. Um, and my first 
my first thought when I saw that in in the trailers was, okay, so this is it's it's going to be Ghostbusters with um, with a little bit of that Goonies or that Amblin Amblin family kind of adventure movie from the eighties uh, crossed with uh, a little like yeah, Gremlins is what I was just saying. Um, you know those little moments, but they package them together so well, and it actually does feel like a labor of love um, that it's hard not to enjoy. And it doesn't, unlike the, the 2016 movie where having the, the original Buster's cameo just kind of rings hollow and already takes you out of a movie that's already not all that great, this felt just, it felt right. It felt like where the franchise needed to get to. Um, and if we had to sit through 2016 to get this one, I'm, I'm strangely okay with it. Like, um, <laughs> I, I wound up enjoying this just so much on uh, on both viewings. Uh, like I said, the first time I was just super excited and enjoying it. The second time around, I was able to just enjoy it and appreciate it as a movie um, and actually really enjoy those emotional beats as well. And I, like, if you told me that I was going to cry during a Ghostbusters movie, I'd have said you're full of shit. And they, they managed <laughs> to do it. Um, and Sean, I, I think it was Sean, uh, you, you know, having Jason Reitman work on, on this movie Mm -hmm. um, as somebody who you know basically making it a family business with his dad right. um yeah it really drove home uh how much this franchise just means to people um it was, it was very kind of reflective of how ghostbusters has traveled through uh kind of pop culture today yeah like when you go to like a, a comic-con you might see one or two people in ghostbusters costumes but not many and it's one of those franchises that people are aware of, and there's definitely pockets of people that love it, but it's not something you hear people talk about all the time. Yeah. Although, when and you it do was spot... kind of reflected in that movie that you know when it comes up, there's the kid that's like, "You don't know the Ghostbusters?" Like, right? Yeah. Yeah. When you do see someone pop up at the con and they actually have the full working like proton pack that's all lit up and making sounds, and they have like screen accurate gear and stuff. Mm -hmm. they're always a showstopper oh, yeah. <laughs> people are always going up to him being like surprised with the dedication i i sat and had a, uh, conversation a certain someone that. has done that at a con before yep. had a whole conversation about how much it costs to build a prototype <laughs> <laughs> a comic con a few years ago we're looking at a couple grand that i don't have <laughs> and the skill set that i don't even have either so yeah. uh, i'll just have to order one somewhere um uh, okay so chris you mentioned the big ghostbusters return with bill murray uh uh dan Aykroyd, and, and um uh ernie hudson uh getting to see them back in the flight suits with the proton packs um redoing a little bit of the bits from from the first movie with ray just making the the i uh, you know uh, the I'm a representative of the city, state, county, blah, blah, blah. And then just going off on a tangent about Ducks Unlimited with it. Like <laughs> I was like, going, this is, this is exactly what I expect Ray Stance to do at this point. Uh, but the moment they're revealed, uh, even though you know, it's coming, it still hits, it still hits hard. And it's great to see those guys back together again. Um, I, I do wish we could have gotten one more like full blown adventure with, the original four before Harold, Harold Ramis had passed. Mm -hmm. um, but this, this movie did a good job of getting them back together for that one last moment that I, I think that we, we really earned there at the finale. Mm -hmm. um, since they did kind of peaks at individuals. And so by the time you see all of them together, it really hits you. Yeah. Um, and the, the, 
the whole thing when when we're finding out what they've been up to from ray where it's you know pete's a a, a professor of uh, of marketing and advertising at a university i'm like yeah that that tracks actually with him um and then finding out winston's a uh a financial whiz i'm like oh well okay that's kind of cool and so actually allowing them at the because i assume you guys stayed all the way through the credits i yes. was very like usually what i'll do is i'll pull my phone out at the end and i'll google i do the same is there thing. one yep. is there two what's going on when we were getting our popcorn the guy behind the counter went ahead and just gave me a heads up he said dude there's two there's one mid and one at the very end just yeah. hang out <laughs> yeah we we try to tell people if we know but the problem is we don't always know yeah and the other problem is is that if you're coming to the late show we don't want you to know so we want you you want us out <laughs> yeah I, I just want to go home um but yeah to the the moment though when when they all appear together um that that hit me right in the childhood right in the nostalgia sean i know you feel the same way uh oh i did especially when they got knocked down and they're you know they're older guys now they, yeah. they never like getting knocked down by you know big ghosts or whatever it happened in both movies right. um they're always like knocked over and knocked down and i would imagine it's hard to get up at this age yeah. um but yeah just i mean you've got the mouth of peter Venkman, you've got ray stance the heart and you've got uh winston who later in that second um post-credit scene he said he, he was the sex appeal of the ghostbusters right. <laughs> <laughs> um but i actually love that i the you know the the first after credit scene it's really just kind of a throwaway scene with uh dana sigourney weaver and uh, bill murray's pete bankman you just get confirmation you always wondered like did they finally end up together after all that and uh when, the, when they're together i guess you just kind of assume that eventually they got married and they're just in their apartment or whatever and it's a call back to that uh that scene where where Bankman was zapping that one guy it was the opening scene of Ghostbusters yeah. right after the uh, the librarian ghost, and um, yeah, so uh, the the second scene with Janine and Winston, and you find out that Winston is kind of this uh, financial guy who's done very well for himself. I thought that was very smart because in the original film he was just like, you know, if there's a steady paycheck involved, I'll do any or you know I'll believe anything, I'll believe anything you say. You say. Yeah. yeah you know and this job isn't worth 11.5 a year and now he's like you know the guy that is doing better than any of them <laughs> basically and bank and roll in the whole operation yeah he's keeping raise a cold open and he's reopening the firehouse and bringing the ecto one back and oh, yeah when he bought it, back the firehouse i was like oh that's cool yeah oh, and yeah. if there's a continuation of this franchise he's you can imagine ernie hudson's going to be you know pretty heavily involved um so i don't know what do you guys think is there a future for ghostbusters films i absolutely think, so. think there is yeah um i i think the the fan base alone is hungry enough for one um for at least one more sequel one more go around with these characters uh be it the originals or or the kids um yeah i i i do i think and i'm sure i'm surprised sony hasn't gone ahead and announced yep we're doing another one let's go like let's right. go ahead and print that money um yeah i i i don't see why you couldn't i would love to see where they go from here and if winston's the the financial whiz that they they kind of make him out to be at the end i honestly wouldn't mind seeing them try and expand the ghostbusters franchise into different cities um yeah that's that's honestly something i've i've wanted to see with another movie or uh even a remake uh if they were to do a full-blown remake just to take it somewhere else um but yeah i i, I do i i think we, we 
I think we're going to get another ghost, but at least one more. Why not? I don't think they would have done that second end credit scene if they didn't plan on doing one. No, because they're showing okay. you know Echo One yeah. coming home. They're showing you know the the firehouse, everything. You know what what did they do to you? You know when he actually you know, basically <laughs> yeah. basically pets the car. It's like what did right. they do? You yeah. missed it. Yeah. <laughs> well, Sony as a studio too. I mean, their biggest franchise, Spider Man. They have to share with Marvel. They're kind of stuck. They have to share with Disney. And, you know, their other biggest franchise was James Bond for the longest time. But I think that those rights went to MGM now. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't think Sony has Bond anymore. So it's like they have Ghostbusters is like (laughs) the franchise that like they own, uh, you know, and, you know, if this is a hit, which it was, they did in a smart way. Like the 2016 movie, I think was made for like maybe 150 million and it it just barely recouped its money. And it just looked like a CG turd fest. Like it wasn't great looking. This movie, you get a talented director, Jason Reitman, who in his own right has been making terrific indie films for the past, you know, 15 years or so. And you get him to shoot it. And the movie looks fantastic. Like the cinematography actually in this movie is really, really good. And, you know, they only made it for 72 million, 75 million. And it's definitely going to recoup all that. I think it's already made its money back. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's just a success. I mean, make a a Ghostbusters film with a smaller budget, uh, with a great, you know, big CG ending if you want to. But as as long as characters are are, uh, number one, as far as, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. good characters, good storylines, good plots, I think they could keep it going. Yeah, I think I already heard it's already a profitable movie, if I'm not mistaken. Trisha? I agree with everything that's been said. I think it's got a future. <laughs> but I think they did the smart thing in that if they didn't continue it, the way they ended it is okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it hints towards a future, but it, it didn't like tease anything that you have to see. So, like, if they did decide to not go ahead for some unknown reason, yeah. like it, it's an okay ending, but they did that, <clears throat> that credit scene to keep it open for the future and you know it's just a matter of time before they green light another one yeah the yeah the the last the very last shot is of the uh the containment unit back at the old new york firehouse um an alarm on it going off i wanted to see slimer in the worst way i wanted to see a leak and slimer pop out or or something like that in the ghost house i was waiting for it that was my only i think disappointment in the movie when definitely this is the first a Ghostbusters movie without Slimer anywhere in it. Yeah, yeah. it felt a little weird, especially because he was such a big presence in the cartoon. Eventually, it was Slimer and the real Ghostbusters. <laughs> he, he was the one on the uh, the packaging for High C, you know, Ecto Cooler mm-hmm. and all. Like, he was the mascot. So for him to not be in the film at all, was it was a little weird. I, I would agree with that. Um, I don't I don't know where you would have fit him in except for except for that very last shot. Uh, but yeah. I thought we got a really good substitute for him in the Muncher ghost that's just <laughs> eating metal throughout. Um, I was like, he's he's so hideous. He's cute. Like you can't help it. Um, but yeah, no, I, I I'm with you. I was sitting there going, I'm the Slimer. I really wish we could get him back in here. Just just one shot, you know. Um, and maybe that is something they'll they'll do with with another one um yeah i i was gonna say uh sean you hit it hit it on the head there with with sony and the franchises they do have uh like because i i've said in the past i don't trust them with uh with any comic book franchise whatsoever um thank thank the comic book gods that they're working with uh marvel and and disney to to do a spider-man movie 
Uh, Feige has the control as he should. Yeah. Uh, but like the only other franchise that they've got or, or have had, um, major one anyway, is uh, is Men in Black, which yeah. have really kind of just screwed the pooch on in in the last decade or so. Three was fine. Two was eh, whatever. Um, and international is well, blatantly forgettable. Like um, the fact that they're not jumping all over themselves to make a sequel happen tells me um, a couple things. One, that uh, they probably want it to happen, um, but I don't think Jason Reitman uh, or anybody in the Ghost Core uh, section of Sony Pictures is going to just do whatever. Um, and I think the other thing too, is that, uh, Dan Aykroyd still has his share of everything and has said, they really can't do anything without me giving the go ahead on it. Um, and so he could be what's holding them back. Um, yeah, I could see him being kind of hesitant to jump, jump too soon. Well, and especially after, after the 2016 movie, Mm -hmm. I, I feel like in that instance, maybe Dan Aykroyd was just so eager to get the franchise back up and running. Yeah that he just said let's yeah go ahead and do it um and this time around going we've got a good thing here let's let's flesh it out before we go any further um but yeah no i i i do think there's absolutely a future there it's just what does that future look like Um, i would i would love it if it's a few years from now you give mckenna grace a few years to age up a little bit where she's not considered like like a kid kid anymore where she could realistically like you know be like working as a ghostbuster that could be her job uh you put it in a new city put it in chicago bring dan Aykroyd back as like a consultant where he's like at whatever this ghostbusters chicago headquarters is which you know dan Aykroyd in chicago blues brothers you already have that like history too so like bring Dan Aykroyd back, Ray Stance is like, you know, they're, they're Tobin spirit guide expert. Him and Phoebe could be the ones geeking out. Him, Phoebe, and, uh, and podcast, right? Yeah. Um, you've I'll... got, uh, bring Paul Rudd back, of course. Like, um, I don't know. I think there's there's definitely a way you, you could do it and do it well. Um, and I don't know if Jason Reitman would, you know, if this was kind of like a one and done thing for him, like a love letter that he just kind of it did and signed off on and, and that's it. But you know, I'm I'm a Ghostbusters geek, so I want more of it as long as it's good. I don't I don't want anything that's that's gonna you know be a, a bad installment. You yeah, know, just more started... just for the sake of having more. Right, right. I just started laughing, thinking, you know, you know, Trevor Finn Wolfhard, you know, being the receptionist answering the phones, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just to have him in the movie. Really again. get relegated. <laughs> yeah, he's not doing anything this time around. <laughs> One of my, uh, I was going to say, well, that was, that was another thing. Cause we didn't even get to talk about her, uh, Annie Potts making, making her couple of appearances in the movie. Um, Janine Melnitz is probably my favorite movie secretary of all time. Just, <laughs> uh, and like, I leaned over to, to Trisha when we first watched it after she, she tells, uh, Callie that, yeah, your dad didn't leave you anything but debt. Like just, you know, her, yeah. her deadpan, like the way she, she tells it and that sly sense of humor with the way she says it. I'm going glad, glad to know that Janine's uh, bedside manner has not changed in 30 yeah. some odd years. Very recognizable in this. That, you don't even have to even see her, you know, see her. You knew just yeah. by the voice who it was. Uh, I think that says something by, you know, by itself. When you know a character mm-hmm. by their voice as much as you actually seen them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The the only person that I still wanted to see and I and I I know I know his reasoning for not just coming back. The only other person I wanted to see is Rick Moranis. 
um Lewis Tully is one of is one of the best like just uh put upon schmucks I think has ever been put put on film as well and uh, missing him uh it didn't take me out of the movie by any stretch of the imagination but and, and I didn't really think about it until now but like I'm sitting there going it just it would have been nice to have seen him somewhere in the movie I know uh, Disney's hopeful. talking him out of uh, re- retirement for one of their projects. Last time I heard, yeah, honey, uh, the Honey mm-hmm. I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah, they're doing so Disney if they Plus. do pull a second one of this franchise, the Afterlife franchise, mm-hmm. that would be the next pop if yeah, they can I, get him into it. I think it's possible. There was a bit of a Rick Moranis resurgence when they were filming Afterlife. I think he did like a uh, commercial with Ryan Reynolds, and he was in like here or there. He started to come out because his kids are grown. Like yeah. historically, like he left show business because his wife passed away and he just wanted to be a dad. But now th- that his kids are grown, I mean, he's he's free to like come back. And he was he was like an actor, kind of like a John Candy, where it's like he just loved him and everything he was in. Yeah. And when he disappeared, yeah. it was like, oh, where'd Rick Moranis go? Like we could really use Rick Moranis back. <laughs> and, uh, you know, for him to actually pop up here and there. Yeah, that would be a, a big thing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would like to see if, if they do another one, which, again, I think we're all pretty certain they will. Just just to see him pop. It doesn't have to be for long. Um, and his reasoning for not coming back sooner for even showing up in the 2016 movie is that, why? We've, we've already done it. Like, there's no right. way to come back. And I'm going, well, I, I get that. But, Chris, yeah, if, he, if Disney's talking him out of retirement to come do uh, – Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. I, is that a movie remake? Is it a series? I don't. I think it's a series. Is I it? think Josh Gad is attached to play Nick Zelinsky, like a grown-up Nick, his son. Mm-hmm. And they were going to bring back um, Rick Moranis in his role as Wayne Zelinsky. The, the last I heard. But, you know, this was pre-pandemic, I think, when we were first hearing about stuff like that. So uh, who knows what the status is now. Gotcha. All right. Well, fellas, I am so glad that you guys joined us. I do have one last question for the two of you, and you guys can put your heads together and, and, and figure, sort this out together. Um, you get stuck being put in charge over at Sony, and they tell you you have to put together a new Ghostbusters movie uh, remake. You get to use all the same old characters, um, just can't use the same actors. Who are you going with for your four leads? Oh, wow. That's tough. I know, right? <laughs> and like I said, you don't have to come up with four individually. You guys can do this together. I can just see the entire time you're asking that question, Sean's face go, I hate this. Why did I agree to do this? Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> this is a tough one. This is tough. And I'm going to rely on Sean. Though. I'm trying to think of, of actors that are out there you know in their 30s 40s that appropriate age i'm not going to young them up too much i'm not going to cast you know like tom holland as peter bankman or something um no (laughs) not happening he's more of a lewis tully anyway it's fine yeah true (laughs) um let's see i think i would want to get somebody i i almost i almost immediately think of the uh the new girl cast i don't know why but there's who who's the guy that plays jake in the new girl he was also the voice of older spider-man and in um the cartoons but oh Spider-Man. yeah i know i know who you're talking about um and i don't he's, watch the show he's got a bit of a, a bankman vibe to me uh jake johnson is the actor's name yes um and in the same way um damon wayne's kid he's a, he's another wayne's but he was also on that show maybe he'd be a winston i don't know how you i don't know how you replace harold ramus as egon though i mean if anybody were to be cast they would just be doing an impression which 
you know, Phoebe's character was good enough to where mm -hmm. you were like, you accepted that. But for anybody to, you know, you could have a smarmy actor be a Vankman. You can have kind of a lighthearted, goofy guy to, to be Ray. But anybody would just be doing an Egon impression. And that's the, that would be the toughest pill, the pill to swallow, yeah. I think. Um, <laughs> you, you think of a couple, Chris. I've got nothing. <laughs> I, I mean, honestly, right. I've got nothing. <laughs> so, so actually, I did have an idea for this before we even got the Ghostbusters reboot in, in 2016. Um, so I, I'm changing cities. I'm changing it to London because look at all oh. the history to work with there yeah okay, i've already got yeah. your director i've already got at least two of your cast members because we're going with edgar wright nick or mm. nick frost and simon Pegg. you just need okay. two more from there that, that's that all, would... like that's that's my thing and you and it doesn't matter who you cast them as you just throw them out there like uh but those are my two comedic chops they they could honestly be ray and egon or whatever we name their characters that's what i was going to ask you are they new characters or are they uh I, so so if you ask me this ties back into my idea of I was having, gonna say of actually franchising and moving to different cities yeah. Yes. yeah and so you know you would have those two be new characters um i would probably just go ahead and take benedict cumberbatch somewhere along the way maybe throw him in as a villain or something uh, you can't go wrong no no why not <laughs> right um you know just grab whoever we can um but they're in uh, they're in London, so they bust the uh, Christmas Carol ghosts of uh, Christmas past, future, and present. <laughs> and Scrooge stays the way he is. <laughs> uh, I would I would love something involving the Tower of London. Um, you know, I think that would be actually yeah. kind of cool. Um, I haven't figured out who my other my other two Brits are that I'd throw in. Um, shoot, I'm trying to think. I do know that I want um, I want at least one one female on the team. Yeah. Trisha, I've got it. Haley Atwell. I would not say no to that. Peggy Carter herself. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was, was thinking Emily, Emily Blunt, but yeah. Oh, Emily Blunt too. would be a good choice, too. Um, I was also thinking Naomi Harris, uh, who, of course, has been in her own bunch of blockbusters at this point between Bond, Venom, uh, and Pirates of the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. um she's got a wry wit to her I, i'd actually take her in as well you know what that's that's my floor we're gonna do two men two women so um yeah so that's that's where i was going with that uh i think that i mean i would see it <laughs> I, I would go see it for sure especially the setting change i think you know i always thought like in some other city you know ghostbusters la or chicago but um london is just is steeped in ghost stories like yeah, you know yeah. uh i think that would be a great fit yeah, yeah uh, or, or even rome for that matter the under the you know, underground city that's you know mm -hmm. all the skulls and everything yeah, yeah anywhere oh, river sticks and like yeah you could get to some deep uh, lore in the european Paris catacombs yeah, yeah exactly oh, wow. yeah yeah there's there's all kinds of of options there but that's that's how i would take it because i feel like if you're going to if you're going to expand on a franchise that we already have um, and, you know, and again, this is, this is in the past 10 years when you couldn't get Bill Murray to do a sequel to anything except Garfield. Um, you know, I said, <laughs> what a crime. I know. Right. <laughs> like of all the things you want to do a sequel to, that's, that's what you, okay. I want like, uh, to end the zombie lands. Like do anything wrong. Yeah. Garfield. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At least he acknowledges that mistake, yeah. you know? Um, but yeah, I, that's that's to me that that's how you take this franchise in into a new and different because because if you do if you go British with it, 
you're already getting a totally different type of humor, but it's still yeah. that dry wit that that you get from from those first two Ghostbusters movies. Ghostbusters uh, yeah. International. Yeah, uh, but don't call it that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, we already know Sony that didn't that didn't work out with with MIB. So true. Um, but yeah, so. Uh, all right. Well, guys, I, again, I want to thank you all for coming back on and joining us. Uh, we'll, we'll do it again sometime. Um, I'm going to give you guys a couple minutes to plug your show. So go for it, fellas. All right. Well, if you guys haven't heard of us, we are Dad and Rock. We have a podcast that we do, an audio podcast called the Dad and Rock Podcast. Um, we are closing in on 100 episodes here soon. Uh, but honestly, what we've been doing the most of is growing our YouTube channel. You can uh, find us uh, on, just search Dad and Rock on YouTube. Currently, we're doing an after show every Saturday night at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time uh, for the Apple TV Plus show called Invasion. I don't know if you guys have watched any of that, um, but it's not very good. And we are, make our opinion known about it. Um, it's okay. It's disappointing because it had a lot of potential and yeah. it's just not really meeting that potential in our opinion. But anyway, that's what we're doing now. Coming up here in December, we're coming closer to Christmas. We're uh, going to cover The Witcher season two by doing eight, something called the Eight um, Days of Witcher. This is going to be fun. Yeah, Eight <laughs> Days of Witcher because it's a Netflix release. You know, they drop them all at once. Chris, are, Chris and I are going to be hectically trying to do like two a days where we're going to try to review this thing. Um, and it's, it's going to be tough, but yeah, that's coming up here in December. Awesome. Um, yeah, I'm ashamed to admit, uh, I haven't really watched anything else on Apple TV plus except for Ted Lasso. So, um, <laughs> Hold on. that's okay. Um, there's, there's no shame in that show. Uh, heck yeah. yeah AFC Richmond. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we did an after show for Ted Lasso as well. So that's on our YouTube channel. Yes. Um, awesome. Well guys, Sean, Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Um, that's going to do it for, uh, for this special, uh, review episode, Trisha, we're probably going to do something for Spider-Man. I think, um, that may be the last thing we do before my kid arrives. So, um, we'll just have to wait and see. So, uh, for all of us here at my drunk movie theater, I'm Kyle Sutton. I'm Trisha Campbell. And be nice to your damn movie staff.